Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. So we're in week three. And uh, first of all, this will be a slightly shorter show than our marathon affairs uh, sometimes are, uh, because I know people want to want to watch the games. But this is this is a vitally important week. This is maybe the most well, not maybe it is the most important week thus far of the college football season. And the whole question of quote unquote who's for real, right? That's that's, that's what you want to know when you get to the third week of the season. For most teams, not every team, it means that you've started playing games in conference. That's a good place to start figuring out who and what you are. And aren't, right? What you are and are not. Hopefully you figured out who your best 22 guys. And in the case of special teams guys, I guess your first, you know, your best 24, if you count your punter and place kicker. Because very often, you know, you've had spring ball and you've had camps and things like that, but you weren't 100% sure of who your best guys were. But now you've had, you know, essentially the preseason uh, for many teams, not all teams. Some teams come right out of the box with a tough game. But most teams prefer to start, you know, slowly play somebody that they feel they have a fairly good chance to handle without too much trouble. As I said, there are a few teams that have a different way of going about it, uh, different analysis, different uh, approach, whatever term you want to use. But there's no more cupcakes being played at this point, right? You're, You're beyond the playing of cupcakes. You're beyond uh, taking it easy on yourself or whatever term you want to use. You're now in that point of the season where it's it's a fight, right? You're fighting for your life from this point forward in almost all cases. Some teams in the SEC sometimes they'll have a, a late uh, let-up game or not let-up, you know what I mean, non-conference game, sort of later in the season to heal up you know, later in the season. But in most cases, from this point forward, you're playing legitimate, tough opponents that could very much have a chance to beat you. And if you don't bring it, especially in, in, in the tougher conferences, from this point forward, every each and every week, you're not going to have a good season. Your season will suffer. There is no other way to put it. There will be some teams who today their seasons will be shaped. Their seasons will be changed based on what happens this particular game. So obviously we talked about a little bit about Texas and Cal last week, right? There's 
there's a lot on the line for every team. But obviously in the case of Charlie Strong, he's, he's coaching for his life. He is coaching for his life. And if this is not a good game, if things don't go well, the drumbeat already beginning, you know, to sort of question the hire of, of Charlie Strong, who I think is a terrific coach, and I hope he gets a chance to establish himself and establish his regime and establish his approach to playing college football because I believe if he's given time to do so, you're going to have a really good program that's going to be solid in terms of not just football, but solid in terms of producing young men. But, of course, none of that will happen if he gets fired by the end of the season and a loss to Cal would, like I said, turn the flames up a little higher. There's obviously a big showdown game out in the SEC West that's going to be decisive. You know, I mean, that's almost a play-in slash play-out game for the Final Four. Now, clearly an SEC West team can build one loss, but it's unlikely that the loser of that game wouldn't lose another game somewhere else. So that's why it's so important to get off to a, a fast start if you're playing such a tough conference schedule. And a few other issues, you know, that are going to to come up as we we look across, you know, the, the firmament of college football. A game that was incredibly exciting, though not super cleanly played at times, was USC Stanford and those two teams you know, cross swords a little earlier than some might wish. But I think, particularly for Stanford, even if they lose that game but look much better than they have recently, it may signal things. It may help them to to close out with a good season. But if they get flat out blown out, and I, I don't think it's beyond the moral possibility they get blown out. And I don't say that easily. I mean, this is a team that tends not to get blown out even when they're facing teams that have more, more talent, and USC does have more talent. You just look across the board position by position. But they also are a better, a team better suited to doing things that Stanford struggles to deal with. Uh, Stanford is a team that is based around running the ball, stopping the run, and getting pressure. But the strengths of USC are getting the ball out quickly. They're not an amazing running team, but I think they'll have enough of a running game. And I think this could easily be a three-score, 17, 21, 24-point you know, kind, of, kind of win for USC. And a big win towards sort of projecting USC forward with their chance to remain a team with a shot at the Final Four. So that's that's a huge game for those two teams. And like I said, I, I think Stanford, even if they can, even if they end up coming up short, if they end up, like I said, being really competitive, being looking like they belong and looking like it's not a huge mismatch, I think it will help them going forward. So 
essentially, if they can, not that a, a 10 or 7-point loss or 6-point loss would be looked at as a quote-unquote moral victory, but it just means that this team is rounding into shape after looking, frankly, out of sorts against Northwestern. Uh, there are a lot of games that I think are going to end up shaping, like I said, the destiny, whatever term you want to use, of teams, players, and coaches this particular week. You know, so that's that's one of the things I think is truly going to be at issue, you know, decided, whatever term you'd like to use figured out, hammered out, you know, fought through, <laughs> uh, decided. Uh, I don't know how best to put it. Just there's going to be a lot on the line for a lot of programs. This particular game is going to, like I said, some teams are going to get, you know, pushed off the island. You know, if Cal is serious about being taken seriously as a national program, this is a game they really can use. And though Texas is is down, is a down year for Texas, beating Texas when you're Cal, no matter what the circumstances. I mean, as long as Texas is not playing shorthand, as long as they're actually putting out, you know, a full football team, it's going to be a big win. It's a win that makes people look at Cal somewhat differently. Cal has not been a football powerhouse, you know, since not too long after World War One. I. I mean, it's been a long time since Cal was a uh, – Pappy Waldorf. Uh, I'm exaggerating slightly, but Pappy Waldorf was the coach the last time Cal was thought of as a powerful, you know, dangerous, hard-to-handle, whatever term you want to use, national program. And if they are to change that perception, to announce to the world that they are a threat to win their conference, that they are a threat to to go beyond just winning their conference and perhaps, like I said, make a real impact at the national level, a game like this game is one of those things that they, they need, quite frankly, as a program. So... Those, to me, are, are two of them. Like I said, you know, Charlie Strong is coaching for his coaching life at this point. Every single loss is a threat to his continued employment at the University of Texas. So, you know, like I said, those are the games that sort of popped in my head early on. And obviously, like I said, Ole Miss has already announced itself. That's what last year was all, all about. And they have a new starter in South Kelly, and they have, you know, some things that they are are sorting out and figuring out about who and what they are as a program. But if indeed there is to be a successful end to their season, if they are going to end this season with what for them is considered a success, Several things will have to happen. And I think, like I said, that's that's true in many cases, that a lot of things will begin to 
to fall into place, to align, to how are we going to put it? And so I'm going to sort of run through some of those some of those games. Uh, there's an interesting sort of intersectional matchup as uh, Connecticut faces Missouri. You know, not exactly a traditional rivalry game by any stretch of the imagination. These are teams that rarely play each other, uh, probably don't know too much about each other, and and they're going to try to, you know, essentially figure out what it is that each team is, you know. So Missouri, of course, is a team that's been known for being a really good defensive team and have been a really good defensive team for the last several years. They've had guys that went fairly early in the draft coming off that defense. They've had some skill position guys, particularly at wide receiver, who've had a certain amount of success in the NFL. Um, they have a couple of quarterbacks who are currently NFL backups in the NFL. Have a couple of wide receivers. Like I said, you know, a bunch of skill guys. Their offensive line has started producing some interesting, you know, interesting talent that's made its way to the NFL. Mitch Morris amongst them. So there's clearly some talent, like I said, that makes its way there, and they do a good job of developing that. They get some four and five stars occasionally, uh, particularly, you know, a few five stars and, and a good number of four stars. But mostly it's about a three-plus, three-point-something star program, three-star in change kind of program. And with that in mind, they have to do a good job of developing guys, guys who might be a little underweight, or maybe playing in a slightly smaller program, didn't start till they were seniors, whatever reason, guys that weren't, you know, at ESPN 300 and being discussed constantly and all that, they have to go after some of those guys and then see the things that will allow them to be successful at the next level and then help them to develop, help to grow them up as players. And like I said, they've done a good job of that as a program, as a whole. That's something that they've been pretty successful at doing over the last several years. And I don't think this year will be any different. Matty Mock is, you know, another one of those guys sort of falls into the Johnny, you know, Matty football, whatever term you want to use, sort of Manziel-esque figure, uh, sort of a fearless uh, guy who, someone undersized, thinks, thinks he's got a bigger arm and a bigger frame than he actually has. You know, plays bigger than he is, but thinks he's even bigger than he plays. My understanding is that he's, you know, cut back. He's in better shape also. He's lost some weight. I believe he's sort of calmed down some of his, you know, lifestyle things. So not not that it got to the point of, you know, where it was Manziel-esque, but he was apparently a guy that did enjoy, you know, some off-the-field excitement, 
earlier on in his collegiate career, and now he seems to be more focused on, you know, I won't say football only, but, you know, he's accepting the responsibility of being a leader and running a team that wants to make a, a deep run and, you know, perhaps even hopes to play in the playoffs. Now, once again, a lot of things have to go right. Well, Missouri is a team that's capable of winning the, the SEC East. The SEC East is very much up for grabs. You know, the perception is itself. Well, Cessna is down. It's not just perception. Uh, Georgia is perceived as probably the most complete team, but they've got some question marks at two places. Could Florida be back? And do they even need to be back in order to win the SEC East? Is both a legitimate question. There's a lot of potentiality for Missouri, which, you know, paradoxically is in the East. And the SEC, despite fact, they're one of the most, they're one of the westernmost teams. But, you know, like I said, football geography is not the same as world geography, clearly. Uh, let's see. So, as you mentioned, sort of Georgia Tech is no fun for anybody to play against. Teams never, ever, 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 ever uh, look forward to playing them, but I don't think uh, that's that's about to change. I think that uh, another one of the sort of big, I don't want to say it's intersectional, but the teams that are one from the mountain, I guess, is, and one from the west, a lot of people obviously are, are wanting to see if the two young quarterbacks, Rosen being the, most celebrated freshman quarterback in the country and one of the most fresh, celebrated freshman players in many years who continue to, you know, start to burnish his, his burgeoning legend. And that's a bit of a struggle, you know, in their last game. If if that was, you know, just sort of a an adjustment game for a young quarterback who's now starting to see a lot of fairly different defenses. I mean, even though he played a fairly high level of high school football, he's probably seen man-to-man, uh, cover one, and cover two. You know, maybe a little bit of cover zero and some blitz pressure packages, but probably hasn't seen a lot of quarters coverage or quarter, quarter, half. He probably hasn't seen a lot of matchup zones, a lot of cover three. He's probably seen some of these things for the first time in practices or in some cases, in games. And he's trying to, you know, adapt, adjust, and survive uh, based on seeing some of these things for the, like I said, for the first time. And so if he's adapting, adjusting, and surviving sort of on the run or on the go, you know, that's, like I said, obviously something that, you know, is what you do for him. Uh, Michigan State. is going to, you know, have the the probably not non-pleasure of going uh, up against Air Force. Obviously, they've got more talent and more size and more speed, but Air Force, once again, runs that that very tricky triple option and um, have that flex bone, and they, they can make your life difficult if you're not used to it. And, of course, virtually nobody's used to it except Georgia Tech, Army, Air Force. Uh, Georgia Southern State, one of those wishbones, or not wishbone, but a flexbone team. 
we have a handful of, of triple option teams. Uh, the service academies, um, I think it's in New Mexico State, uh, I believe Georgia Southern or Georgia State, obviously Georgia Tech, but, you know, out of the 100, I think it's 28 now, 27, something like that, uh, FBS teams, about seven or so of them run triple option. So it's something you just don't see very often. Obviously, LSU-Auburn is an enormous game. I, I had LSU in that game, and I think it's going to be very close. Four points probably decides that game. Uh, Vanderbilt faces the... Well, Austin Pate has at times been a pretty good Ohio Valley Conference team, but this is not probably their best um, year. Final year, they're likely to, you know, make a, a deep and uh, big time run. So, you know, we'll see we'll see how that sort of turns out for them. Uh, let's see what else. Who else? Who else? Who else? So. I'll speak about the games that I'm particularly focusing on, and I'll, I'll mention some of the games that I, I think are going to turn out a little, maybe a little differently from what people are expecting or assuming. I think people are assuming that Cincinnati is going to find a fairly easy win against Miami of Ohio. I think that's going to be a two-score game, and I don't think it'll be two touchdowns. I think more like you know, maybe a field goal and a touchdown or a couple of field goals. But I think it's probably about a 10, 11-point game. Uh, Hawaii finally finds an easy time against UC Davis. Florida Atlantic and Buffalo is a fascinating game. Uh, obviously, Buffalo has had a couple of NFL prospects last few years. And, you know, Cleo Mack being the most well, no, they had a kid with his name Sokolinski, Christian, Christian Sokolinski, Christian something, uh, who I think they switched from defense to offense, memory serves, but he's a a big, very athletic kid that uh, I think on someone's practice squad right now, like that Cleo Mack is one of the great young defensive players in the league. And then Fort Atlantic tends to produce a fair number of small, fast guys, either corners or wide receivers with the occasional, you know, bigger guy mixed in. But mostly they're, they're a place to, if you like looking at wide receivers and corners, you usually have a couple that should, that'll catch your eye. Oh, I'm torn on that game, but I'm leaning slightly Florida Atlantic. Uh, let's see. So I guess, you know, looking for sort of upset specials or, uh, games that might turn out differently than people might expect. And I guess this is sort of the, you know, the the upset du jour, I guess, now. Uh, I guess everybody's sort of beginning to lean Kentucky. Well, I guess I'm joining everybody on that one. I believe this is, it, it has happened. I believe Kentucky has closed the gap with Florida for the first time in many of our lifetimes. I think it's to be expected that Kentucky will come away with a victory. 
hardly hardly guaranteed. It's hardly a you know a gimme, a slam dunk, or anything like that. But if I just look at those two teams for the first time that I can remember, I'm I walk away more impressed with Kentucky. Just in terms of just the athletes they're putting on the field. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not like Florida is you know, doesn't have athletes anymore. They still got Vernon Hargrave third, who is most people's number one corner. You got you know, Kelvin Taylor, they've got some talent, but I'll be impressed and to some extent pleasantly surprised if that team the Florida does indeed show up plays a great game and comes out with a victory. i not one of those people that, you know, wants to see the great traditional powers torn down. I, I guess I'm sort of a traditionalist in some ways, but I do like to see some challenge. I do like to see I, – I don't like to see walkovers, you know, ever pretty much. So it's good to see teams that maybe were traditionally something of a doormat change that. Is that they, they aren't really that way anymore. Uh, I am glad, like I said, to see see some of that happen with them. And if they can, uh, I hope that's first of all, I hope it's a really good game. I mean, that's that's the first thing I'd like to see is a really, 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 really well played game from both teams. And then, like I said, beyond that, if you know the young quarterbacks in question can play well, if Greer can show that he can work his way from possible target to possible target and choose the right one, which is something that wasn't always, you know, 100% thing he managed to execute earlier in his career. If he can operate both from the pocket and on the edges, if he can be effective enough when he is asked to run, but, you know, once again, be a, you know, be a quarterback first and an athlete second. And then obviously the case of, Patty Ice, uh, Patrick Tolles, he's a guy that a lot of people are very excited about. He's a big kid, big arm, and he looks the part. But he has been very challenging and somewhat disappointing even at times in terms of how he handles certain situations. He doesn't always handle pressure well. doesn't always make great decisions, and there are definitely times when, you know, he throws what he calls YOLO balls. You know, he definitely will put some balls in jeopardy when he doesn't have to, doesn't need to, and probably shouldn't. So his maturation, to me, will be one of the big factors in if Kentucky is real. And then the other big factor is, can that defense also grow up? You know, also show that it is ready for prime time, and by prime time, you know, the SEC. Uh, the SEC is going to test anyone's defense, obviously. If you're going to play in that conference, you're going to see everything from good old-fashioned, you know, downhill, you know, knock you, you know, butt over tea kettle, kind of classic power offenses, and you're also going to see a lot of teams are going to spread you out and go four and five wide and three wide and use a lot of option and everything else to try to get athletes in space and force you to try to tackle in disadvantageous situations. So there's a lot 
You know, there's a lot there to to deal with if you're going to be a defense in that conference. And like I said, Kentucky's defense is going to be the two things that I'm looking for. I said, like I said, the maturation of their quarterback, Patrick Tolles, and consistency on defense. They can do those things, be those two things, right? If those two things can be there for them, that team has a chance. And what most people sort of circled as the game of the week, of course, is Ole Miss-Alabama. And in Alabama, you have one of the traditional powerhouses, one of the programs, one of the flagship programs in all the NCAA. Facing, you know, a, a bit of an upstart. Ole Miss has had good years in the past. You know, going back to both father and son manning times and a few other times in their history. But if you look at this team, this is by far. And without question, the most talented team that Ole Miss has fielded in its entire over 100-year football history, and it's not even close. I wish Donovan were with us. He's, you know, obviously a recruiting maven, but they have legitimate proof. Legitimate pro talent and four and five star type recruits everywhere on this team. From the uh, Kendishi brothers, Tom still still sitting out, but he's on the team. Tony Connor, the Clemson byway of junior college transfer, Chad Kelly who's a big-time high school quarterback and, of course, obviously the nephew of Jim Kelly. String fellow and uh, gosh, uh, like you know the name for a second there, but they've got talent everywhere. There's nowhere you, where you can look on that defense and not find every level of that defense and every level of the offense they're a legitimate professional prospect. In terms of talent, they don't take a back seat to anyone, including Alabama. The question previously, until last year, was mental and physical toughness. And it just so happens that they were able to match them in those areas last year. Is this year's Ole Miss team as mentally and as physically tough as last year? That is a legitimate question. This is a rivalry that has been played since 1894. These are 
obviously, you know, clearly has been um, something that's been dominated in the past by Alabama, who won basically five out of six times that they played. But that could be changing. And if Treadwell, thank you, uh, if um, Lacan Treadwell, uh, Damari Springfield, Springfellow, sorry, and uh, Adebanejo all play well, get open, uh, make plays after the catch, that's that's to be trouble, even for... Like I said, the um, the talent they can field is going to give even a team like Alabama trouble. Alabama's secondary is going to struggle with, or certainly could if they execute, could struggle to stop these guys. They have everything. I mean, there's no other way to put it. This team has everything, talent-wise. And they can match up player for player with Alabama. Alabama, of all, of course, also has a lot of talent. I mean, Ashawn Robinson, Jerron Reed, Jonathan Allen, uh, Reggie Ragland. They, they don't lack for talent either. Uh, Jonathan Allen, next to Jonathan uh, Eddie Jackson is the other guy that... that needs to show up. The matchup that I'm interested in is undersized. Um, they have a, a slot receiver and a, and a sort of slot tight end. Uh, Evan Ingram and uh, the kid uh, uh, core are both the guys going to work underneath. And while I think there are certainly big plays to be had potentially for both teams, I think the team that's able to consistently Keep, keep it close, right, and consistently able to – once they keep it close, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. When I, uh, I'm talking about them being able to uh, – you heard, hear terms like stay on uh, schedule. That team that picks up three yards, four yards, six yards, well, four – that he picks up four to six yards pretty much every single time that a play is run, whether it be a running game, running to, you know, whether they choose to run on the early downs or whether they choose to throw on early downs. To me, it's going to really come down to like I said, staying on, on schedule. If they can do that, a team that can do that, can stay on schedule, does the best job of staying on schedule, does the best job of not ending up in third and seven, third and eight. You know, because the team that ends up third and seven, third and eight, that team is going to be in trouble. There's no two ways around that. Uh, the team that ends up having to face you know, a lot of blitz pressure. And that's probably going to be sort of a weakness for uh, for both quarterbacks. I think the defensive lines of both teams, especially with Tunsil out, will have a slight advantage over the offensive lines of both teams. 
And let me see. What else sort of stands out to me? Kenyon Drake. Uh, I am, you know, interest of full disclosure, unabashedly a fan of Kenyon Drake. I think he's going to be an enormously successful NFL quarterback, and he's going to be a pretty darn successful uh, collegiate quarterback, you know, clearly. And I think that if he does the things that I think he can and will do, um, then I think he will be one of the differences in this game, I guess is what I'm saying. I think that the difficulty that you know involved in trying to defend this this kid is special. You know, I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to. He is a special player. And I think if they use him in almost like a Marshall Falk, and I hate to compare anyone to Marshall Falk, but if they use him in some sort of a Marshall Falk type of way, he's going to be trouble because you can force people to try to, you know, defend him with either a safety or a linebacker. And I don't think that that's, I don't feel that's going to work. If they can get him matched up on wheel routes and, and basically a variety of different kinds of usage, they can get him matched up. And I think that's what Kiffin's going to do. He's going to force some bad matchups. And look out for that kid, uh, Parker. There were wide receivers replacing um, Amari Cooper. Look out for him to sort of announce himself to the world as well. So it's going to be, you know, the secondaries of both teams are going to be stretched and stressed. And I think whichever secondary holds up better. And last year, I said it would be Ole Miss secondary that holds up better. But Ole Miss has lost a lot of talent out of their secondary. This year, I think Alabama's secondary does the better job of not giving up the big play. So as much as it pains me to do so, I'll, I, I kind of like picking out Alabama when I when I can see a way to do it, but I can't see a way to do it. So I'm going to say Alabama. Once again, I think it's going to be a fairly tight one. I mean, I think it's a I think it's a pick 'em game. Three, four points either way. And I've I've gone back and forth and back and forth with myself about this thing. I would really like to find a way to pick Ole Miss. I've, Ole Miss's defense, you know, people have talked about their offensive skill position talent. They've got a lot of it, but it's all about the to me it's all about Ole Miss's defense. That's the key to the victory last year. Ole Miss had a great day on defense. If they have another day like that, they'll win by a couple of scores. I just have trouble seeing that. Though. So that's that's where I am on that game. That's where I am on that game. Oh, let's see. Let me think of some other things that I want to make sure that I cover. 
Uh, let's see. There's there's a few other sort of intriguing, interesting, somewhat off the radar games. Uh, now I'll be honest. Once again, it's a full disclosure. I'm with Norfolk State, so Marshall Norfolk State is not a game that most people are going to find terribly interesting. But I find it interesting for two reasons. One, uh, Norfolk State's playing super tough schedule. They played Rutgers already. Uh, they're they're playing. Oof. I mean, I just hope they aren't too beaten up by the time they finally get to the the MEAC schedule. As always. There's a fun and interesting offense to watch when you watch Marshall. They have a tight end turn running back who is, I think, one of the more underrated and underappreciated running backs in the country. They have an interesting quarterback uh, who has definitely flashed some things, uh, sort of a semi-big-time transfer that they landed. Marshall has some components. Now, like I said, that's not that different from you know, any other year. So, you know, that's for me that game will be not so much about win and loss. And I, I as much as I'd love to see an upset, I don't think Marshall will ever really be seriously threatened. But I saw in the first half of the game against Rutgers, where they were right there with Rutgers for the first half of that game that this could be a good year for Nova State. You know, a seven or eight win team perhaps once they, you know, start facing teams that are like them, you know, playing at the FCS level. I want to see if that continues or if that was sort of a fluke or if Rutgers is just slow, you know, waking up. Either way, if they can contain, you know, not stop, but contain uh, – The, the greater talent that Marshall has. And look, once again, they'll look like they belong on the same field. That, to me, bodes well. Um, obviously, has a, an interesting young quarterback. Uh, they have a linebacker, I think, has a chance to to make an NFL roster as a undrafted free agent. And then the rest of the guys are sort of a question mark. But Deion King, uh, the linebacker, is probably their best pro prospect. And unless he has a tremendous pro day, He's not a guy who's likely to be drafted, but I hope he does get to an all-star game, maybe something like Medal of Honor or NFLPA or, you know, sort of something at level where he gets some shine because he, he definitely has ability and uh, he's a guy that can definitely play. This as well comes down, like I said, to um, him getting a legitimate chance which is always the question for guys that come from, you know, FCS programs. Uh, a few other things to touch upon. Uh, let's see. I think that, you know, we talked a little bit about Tulsa Oklahoma last night when I had Nolan Lake on. Uh, the secret to that one isn't so much, I mean, Oklahoma should win. They shouldn't be 
let's say shouldn't be worried because you have to be worried anytime you're facing a, a team that can move the ball, and that's one thing Tulsa can do. But to me, it's the kind of game where you, you choose to work on certain things. So we'll see if Oklahoma can shore up some areas. I mean, we saw they got beaten up pretty well in the run game. Now, obviously, they can't replicate that. I mean, they won't. the team they're facing isn't going to, going to, going to try to establish the run that same kind of way. I mean, when they do run the football, it's not that type of, of running attack. So, you know, so that's a a fairly considerable difference between, you know, what they faced last week. But they do they do face the challenge of Kevon Lucas this week and that will be good practice for going in the uh in the Big Twelve where teams will definitely throw the football early, often late and deep on you. And this is a team that can definitely hurt you. Uh Tulsa has, you know, not enough talent probably to even keep the game terribly close throughout, but they definitely have a quarterback wide receiver connection. And as I said, Lucas is is somewhat special. Uh, he has a chance to tell the people he deserves to be drafted the first hundred or so picks. Of course, I said the same thing about Clint Brian last year. So, you know, uh, you see where he got drafted. So maybe, maybe I'm insane. But keep on Lucas is a guy that I think has a chance to be a terrific sort of number two type receiver at the NFL level for a long, long time. Uh, and once again, it's also needs turnovers. I mean, that's to me the only real key to them being able to stay close is to pick up some extra extra possessions. You know, if Oklahoma's careless the ball, there's two or three turnovers. Now they have a chance. Not a giant chance, but a bit of a chance. Gives them an opportunity to, you know, get some cheap scores. Not have to face, you know, the the full might, basically, of the uh, Alabama defense, which is, you know, frankly scary. So that's. That's basically the story for that. Is can they pick up a couple of, of cheapies? You know, get a couple of maybe get a um, a return touchdown or a return deep into Oklahoma territory. So at least keep it close. That's really sort of a, a big question there. So that's that's where I see that. Uh, let's see who else? What else? Oh, how could I forget? Uh, the Rocky Mountain rivalry 
Colorado, Colorado State. Now, first of all, why in the heck are they playing this game week break? This is exactly the kind of game you should get your season on, but, you know, no one listens to me, I guess. Uh, that it just seems wrong. You know, it's like Army-Navy playing week three or Cal-Stanford playing week three, UCLA-USC week three, or, you know, Texas-Texas A&M week three. I mean, certain games, Nebraska-Oklahoma, who are no longer conference rivals, but sad. But there are some games that just shouldn't be week three games. That's not a game that should be played week three. It just seems odd. Be that as it may, though. It's a real measuring stick game for both teams. You know, Colorado State sort of announcing they're no longer sort of a patsy. And Colorado trying to stop being a doormat in their own conference. In the Bill McCartney, New Hospital era, they were a threat in the big old Big 12 North. They were they were the team that used to sometimes beat, you know, Bill Snyder's Kansas State. That was fun. I mean, if you're a Colorado fan, that was fun. You know, they when they had Cordell Stewart and Michael Westbrook. Rashawn Salam. I mean, that was they were consistently getting the second and third best kids out of California. And all the best kids out of Colorado, obviously. Doing a pretty good job of getting kids out of Nevada and you know, sort of just prior to the rise of Boise State, they were doing a good job getting all the kids that didn't go to Nebraska out of the Great Plains, basically. Picking off the second and third best kids out of Oklahoma, getting the occasional third and fourth best kid out of Texas, which is still pretty good at various position groups. And winning, you know, 10 games, sometimes 11, consistently, you know, 9 to 11 games for a nice little run there. But that's proven difficult to maintain since. First of all, Colorado is not a good – I mean, I guess some of it makes sense because of where they recruit being in the, in the Pac-12, but they have not had success. And this is not a conference game, obviously, but it's a, a big game. Uh, it decides who's the king of the Rocky Mountain state. It's the kind of thing that you can you know, sort of beat your chest about. And Colorado State is the better program right now. I'm a big fan of uh, Cecil LaFowle and of uh, Nathan Spruce at Colorado. Those are two guys that I think are going to have really solid collegiate careers. And in the case of Spruce, I think he has a really solid pro career ahead of him. It's a little too early to say about LaFowle at the next level, but I, I think he has a chance. That's a team that really, I think if they somehow found a way to win that game, even if it was a fluky, sort of quote-unquote lucky win, I think it would help that program immensely. And first of all, it helps them get the bowl eligibility, which is a big deal for Colorado. And second of all, I mean, there's something to the whole learning how to win thing. People often talk about, well, a team has to learn how to win. 
that's a team that I think might learn how to win or it might help them to learn how to win having having won. Right? Isn't that the, the best way to learn how to win is by winning? I would uh I would guess. So if they were able to to get a to get a victory out of that game, they were to squeak one out, I think it would be enormously important for them. And like I said, sort of a destiny shaping, destiny changing kind of situation if they were able to to claw and fight and find and whatever. Uh, wins are not always easy to to come by when you're at a program like that one. And, you know, every win, every win's a big win. Every win's a big win when you're Colorado. So I will definitely be paying close attention to that game. Because teams like Colorado are looking for hope, essentially. And if they are able to find hope, right, if they are able to to find reasons to, I mean, looking for reasons to get excited, looking for reasons to uh, looking for reasons to have recruits pick you over what used to be the little brother program. You know, once again, Michigan found itself looking up at the formerly little brother, right, in their state. Now, in in their case, it's probably more of a temporary state of affairs because Harbaugh's began winning some recruiting battles already, even though they're not very good yet. If they start winning eight, nine, ten games in the next couple of years, you could see that flipping back in terms of the recruiting battles in state. Colorado needs to win some recruiting battles in state, intersectionally, nationally. They need to be a national recruiter. So Colorado has good talent. It's not enough by itself. Just like with Oklahoma, Oklahoma has good football talent. But there's not enough just in Oklahoma for you to have a great, great, great dominant program that's going to play at a national level just based on the kids that are in your conference. So, I mean, in your your state. And the same deal with them. They need to get some some out-of-state kids and they need to get them, you know, this year, next year, and the year after that. Uh, they need to consistently get those out-of-state kids in order to have a, you know, a really solid long-term program at Colorado and not keep turning over coaches. You know, and that's the thing, is if you get into that cycle of the new coach every year, every, you know, every however long, you don't get established anything and the coaches are changing philosophy and you have kids that aren't right for the philosophy. I mean, it's, it's a downward spiral. You know, once you get into that changing out coaches on a regular basis kind of situation, it usually accelerates. You know, it, it rarely until you find the right coach and you decide to stick by that coach or they have enough immediate success that it sort of, you know, shuts down that, that cycle, but I, I wish more schools were more patient with the coaches that they decided to to bring on. More often than not, it usually ends up being wise to take, you know, to give someone that you've 
decide to pay usually a good amount of money, usually decide to sign them to at least a three-year deal, sometimes a five-year deal. It's just tended in my mind to make more sense to give them time to get it get it done. You know, so we'll see. Like I said, I think that that's sneakily one of the uh, more interesting and important uh, games being uh, being played out there amongst the games being played out there. Uh, let's see. So a few others. Well, Syracuse Central Michigan is not exactly the sexiest game on the docket, but it's one of the more interesting ones. Um, Syracuse, once again, formerly a, a really great program, I mean, both under Coach Swartzwalder, uh, who's Hall of Famer, and Coach McPherson, not McPherson, um, uh, they have Pascaloni and um, uh, right before Pascaloni. Uh, my gosh, I can see him. Can't quite drag up his name. Um, oh boy, oh boy. Well, hopefully it'll come back to me. But they had a nice run of success throughout the 80s and 90s and into the early 2000s. And then uh, things began to, to turn, you know, began to. First of all, Syracuse, New York, uh, upstate New York itself, though there is some good football talent, you know, Liverpool and some of those other areas around there, around Syracuse, they produce some guys. But as I mentioned before, you have to be a national recruiter, or at least a regional recruiter, to have success at Syracuse. And when they had success, they were getting kids from, obviously, the state of Pennsylvania, like Margaret Harrison, but they're also getting guys like Donovan McNabb from here in Chicago, Illinois. They were getting kids from South Florida. They were getting, you know, kids from Ohio. They're doing a great job of of bringing in talent from all over the nation, particularly, you know, the entire southeastern seaboard and, uh, you know, the northeastern corridor particularly. And now they're not getting as many of those guys. I mean, Temple is doing a better job of getting kids out of Philadelphia right now than Syracuse is, and that's you know, certainly wasn't the case <laughs> at one point. Uh, so, you know, it's helped Temple a great deal, but it's really hurt Syracuse. Syracuse used to be a, do a really good job of getting basically the kids that didn't go to Penn State from the state of Pennsylvania, you know, the second-best kids from Pennsylvania, quite often found their way to, uh, to Syracuse. You know, and then the third-best kids would, end up at Villanova or Temple or what have you. But now you're seeing, you know, the top, top kids from Philadelphia still are going to Penn State or leaving, going out of state. But that next tier of kids aren't going to Syracuse. You know, they're they're going someplace that's not Syracuse. I can tell you that much. Syracuse is not getting that next layer of talent they used to get from that part of the country. Those kids are going elsewhere. And as long as that's the case, that's trouble. You know, that's 
that is that is definitely trouble. Um, you know, so that's that's another issue, uh, another sort of long term uh, challenging, troublesome, uh, whatever term we use. They they've got to um, they got some things to figure out. They do. They've got some things to figure out. And unless and until we get some of that turned around, you know, they're, they're not going to be the program that they want to be. They're not going to be the program that they, they'd like to be until they get some of that hammered out. So that'll be interesting to see if they can indeed. First of all, just find that reservoir of talent again, you know, right? I mean, they don't have a Donovan Nab on the on the roster. Terrell Hunt, who unfortunately got hurt, was a guy that some people rather lazily compared to Donovan Nab because he's, you know, kind of thickly built and athletic and he had a reasonably strong arm, but you know, he was less of everything <laughs> than Donovan was. And now they have lost him, so they've lost all their experience pretty much at the position. It's going to be a tough year, and once again, another team that decided to make the change and you know change, you know, from what used to be the Big East. I mean, they've been in the. Uh, I'll be honest; they they would be more competitive in the AAC than they are in the ACC. I understand for basketball reasons wanting to be in the ACC, but I think for football reasons, they're going to end up having a lot of you know, five and four and with the occasional six win season, they can at least be bowl eligible every two or three years, maybe four years. I will not be surprised one tiny bit if Central Michigan beats them. I I call that game a pickle. I think that game's a wash. I, I Syracuse certainly could win, should win. They they have more talent all the way across the board, but If I were, you know, gun to my head, I would pick Central Michigan in a very close game. I hope I, I hope for the sake of Syracuse that I'm wrong. And I hope for the sake of Syracuse sort of long-term that they do find enough success they don't end up, once again, firing coach, starting over and everything. But, I mean, that's a program I used to really enjoy watching, you know. But that's why I said McPherson earlier. Tom McPherson and Graves and uh, obviously Donovan. Nunez, I mean, they had a, a little run there with their freeze option and all that stuff, but they were just, like I said, consistently one of the most exciting, fun games you know, to watch was the Syracuse game. In the old Big East, playing Virginia Tech and Miami and Rutgers. And, I mean, there were some terrific games. They played some terrific, some exciting games. You know, I, I, I kind of miss the football Big East. Uh, it was an interesting conference. Had enough talent and enough big time programs that they deserve to be, you know, sort of amongst the top programs. I know it's the top conferences, uh, but they had enough sort of feisty insurgency, whatever you want to say, uh, programs, programs that weren't top programs but were trying to make a name for themselves that it didn't feel sort of stayed, didn't feel like it was one of those situations where you always knew who the best programs were going to be every year with that conference. So I kind of, you know, like I said, missed the old Big East. But moving on. 
Uh, maybe East Carolina. Huh. That's, I know, Navy is uh, a four-point favorite in that game. And I understand it. Once again, Navy is just a pain in the butt. I think it's going to be a less than four-point game. So I guess the thing I don't think Navy covers. They might win that game, but I think it might be like literally a one- to three-point game. East Carolina is just tough also, but they don't, you know, they don't have a super talented roster this year, and they don't have really mean they lost, you know, Cam Worthy and Justin Hardy and obviously Captain Carden, Shane Carden. So I understand, you know, that they're going to struggle a bit this year, but I just think that this is going to be a game where they're going to, they're going to show up and make it difficult. Um, North Carolina, Illinois. Uh, Carolina needs that game, and I think you're going to get that game. But once again, I don't think it's going to be as easy or as uh, smooth or whatever as as they might wish, as they might hope. I think it's going to end up being kind of a, a tough one. Illinois, uh, unfortunately, is going without, well, obviously we've lost their coach, but also going without their best offensive player, Mike Dudek, who uh, tore his ACL about well, five months ago, I think it was, something like that. Six months ago, maybe. And, you know, hopefully uh, he's healing well. He's an exciting player. He's an interesting player. He has speed and quickness. He's a good route runner and terrific hands. And I just hope, you know, when the time comes that he's able to play and play back at 100%. He's definitely a player that I greatly enjoy watching. Uh, let's see. Who else? What else to mention? Oh, uh, I know. Oregon, Georgia State. Now, obviously, Oregon is expected to utterly rout Georgia State. And Georgia State's a team that I think probably should have stayed in, um, in the FCS a little longer, but they did not. So now they are, uh, you know, they're in it. They're out there. They're uh, in that uh, big giant ball of FBS teams fighting for their lives. It's going to be, like I said, an interesting thing to see sort of where they are able to uh, sort of establish themselves long-term. You know, but uh, like I said, uh, I think it might be a little less of a blowout than than people are... uh, guessing or assuming or uh, you know been putting out there I don't know we'll see it is my hope at least that uh, that that game turns out to be a little closer and I think it will I think it will be a little closer than people are are assuming or predicting or 
you know, have said so far. Well, let's see. A few others. Toledo, Iowa State. Now, Iowa State is one of those programs. I mentioned sort of with Colorado where they need to steal a, a win or two each year. They need to find a win that, that doesn't look like they should get, you know, a win that seems unlikely. They need to sort of dig up one or two of those every year. And the, the question is, can they, can they, you know, can they find one of those? Can they steal a win somewhere? This would help them, right? This would really be a good thing for them if they could somehow, you know, find a, you know, a little, you know, cheapy, a little of a victory they somehow got, you know, through a big play late in the game or, uh, you know, something, some, somewhere, you know, a game that they probably won't look great most of the game, but if they could just find that player to that thing that flips the field, a uh, great return, a uh, strip sack, uh, something. You know, they got to find something. I don't think they will, but it'd be great for them if they could. I'm sort of picking that one to, to monitor just, you know, sort of in case, you know, in case. Well, I sort of have that one locked up under because if they are going to be a team that makes a run and they are going to be a team that, find its way into a uh, bowl game, this would be one of those games that they'll look back on and say, you know, this helped them to, to start on that way, to, to get somewhere. You know, so that's, oof, you know, that's going to be a big one in terms of uh, that. Yeah, so I'll probably go about five more minutes. I'm battling a cold, and uh, I may mount up a two-a-day, may do a, a late show. So we'll we'll see after I get some rest or something. <laughs> but... Uh, I'll talk about a couple more games, and then I'll I'll, I'll uh, watch some football and take a nap. So here's a couple more things that I, I would caution. Uh, watch out. Uh, be careful with your money, whatever. Um, watch out for the Louisiana Tech and Kansas State to be a sneaky close game. Less than 10 points. If you're one of those people that just, you know, bet grandma's insulin money, and you laid, you know, 10 or more points, you should be nervous. Louisiana Tech is a sneaky good program, and despite Jeff Driscoll being a starting quarterback, who, and first of all, let's just establish this. I don't dislike this young man in any way, shape, or form. I hope that he proves everyone wrong and has a nice long career as an NFL backup. He's a guy that, you know, a five-star recruit and was, going to be great, you know, everyone was expecting him to show up in Florida and, you know, get them back to 
their form of prominence. And for whatever reason, some of it physical, some of it mental, some of it circumstantial, he was rarely able to show the same things at the collegiate level he'd shown as a five-star high school recruit. But now he's at Louisiana Tech. The pressure is off. He's not facing SEC defenses week in and week out. He's not under the microscope. Hopefully he can grow and develop and become something. And if he can, you know, it's more power to him. If they have a good game, and that's, I will be definitely monitoring this game with real interest. If this is a, a nip and tuck game, and if it, even if they don't win it, if this is a game they, where they're right in it all the way to the end, two things. It sort of helps the reclamation project that is Jeff Driscoll, but it also really helps his program, you know, at Louisiana Tech. So I definitely look forward to seeing how that game plays out. And I, I do wish Jeff Driscoll all the best. I mean, we, obviously, you know, there have been lots of shots taken and probably deserved some of those, quite frankly. But I would like to see – well, you know, I always want to see a good game, you know, <laughs> a good competitive You know, and just to see, you know, what can happen, you know, going forward. So that's something I'm interested in seeing, how that plays out, like I say. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. So there's anything else to touch upon. Well, one, you know, have a good time. Uh, this would be a great, great, great week. We'll know way more about this college football season after this week is over. Uh, there's some good early games. There's some good late games, good conference and non-conference games. You know, watch as much as you can. <laughs> there's some good stuff out there. So, uh, once again, I just want to thank all of the various uh, – callers and uh, listeners and everybody's uh, supporters, guests that I've had over the past oof, seven plus years that I've been at this. I guess eight plus years I've been at this in terms of the starting with what was called the fastest 40 in radio, the old uh, CDS 40, and then eventually morphing into the Pro Process Radio Show and feeling a draft. I really enjoyed this. I am, you know, battling, you know, sort of play it hurt as they say, battling a throat and head cold situation, but I couldn't, uh, you know, not show up for the bell. So I thank you all for your, you know, your time and your attention. It is a, a pleasure and honor and a privilege. And uh, we may do another show <laughs> later in the day because I'm insane that way. But uh, we're hopefully I'll have a few more of my guests. Talk to you soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.